0: that thickums. And your little bar. He's so cute. I was talking about you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there there's some nice thickums up on the screen. You <laughs> know, every time we do these Zoom meetings, I can't help but look at my face and think about how much wider and wider it's getting every single time. <laughs> I'm like a flounder. Like, from one side, you're like, oh, my God, look at that jawline. Who is that? And then I turn to the camera, and you're like, holy shit, that's like three faces in one. (laughs) My whole goddamn face and head is a fucking square. Do you remember Gumby? Oh, my God, yeah. I loved Gumby. I'm like one of those blockheads for real. (laughs) Well, I brought my 17 chins to this recording, so cheers. Oh, yes, I'm the blockhead, and you're that goo bitch from Gumby. (laughs) and on that note tonight we're reading flight of the fat lady
1: (laughs) yeah you gotta send me a thing a thing oh my god so while you're doing that i'm going to talk about the winner and loser last chapter
0: i neglected to send you the summer
1: (laughs) you didn't send me the thing okay So while you're setting the thing, I'm going to tell you all who won and lost the last chapter. It should be pretty freaking clear that the loser of chapter seven is Snape. I was going to say, is it going to be Snape or Draco? I'm sure
0: you were not shocked to hear. I'm not shocked at all. I stand that. Yeah, he's terrible. Do you want to guess who the winner is? My first gut thought was Neville because it's you, but then I was like Lupin. Which one? (laughs) <laughs> because of your fucking smile, Neville. It is Neville. Of course it is. <laughs> I really, here's
1: the thing, Lupin probably earned the win, but you got to give Neville some credit. Also, he's about to have a couple of really rough chapters. <laughs> going to give him a win here.
0: That was a rough chapter for him.
1: Right. He already had a rough chapter. He's going to have more that mm. are not going to result in wins. I'm going to give him a win. This is his yeah. first win, I think, in the series. I That's
0: don't good. know. I don't know. We'll look back at it. Someone go through all of our episodes and find that out.
1: Steven, because I'm going to put that on you. You love us, so.
0: Yeah, Do work for us. I sent her the summary like I was supposed to before we started recording the last chapter, but now she has it? Do you have it? Yes, Okay. I do have it. It's a short one for me.
1: Yeah, it is. The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 8. The Goblet of Fire. Oh, wait, that's not what this chapter is called? But the picture at the beginning of the chapter is, uh, fine. What is the picture?
0: Let me see if I can show you. It's this.
1: Oh, I get what that's supposed to be, but it sure does. Chapter 8, Flight of the Fat Lady. Did you guys know that Draco was a dick? Lupin is a great teacher. He's got an effective teaching method and is actually probably also teaching the students care of magical creatures, or rather beware of magical creatures that are evil than Hagrid is, who is basically making them feed worms. That and all other classes aren't going so hot. However, we do have Quidditch to cheer us up and Oliver does a great job pumping up his team at the beginning of the season. Harry would also have Hogsmeade to look forward to if he hadn't blown up animals. But he doesn't have a signed permission slip. Ron recommends he ask McGuh to sign it. McGuh declines his request to sign the permission form. Also, Ron and Harry don't understand how permission forms work. Lavender's Rabbit died. Pour one out for Binky. <laughs> Unfortunately, Crookshanks wasn't successful in murdering another rodent in this chapter. So, when everyone, year three, and older, go enjoy zonkos and honey dukes and the Shrieking Shack, Harry has to go to the common room. Except everyone there is lame. Ew, Colin Creevy. So, he tries to go to the library. But then Filch says, apparently, in the middle of a Saturday, no students are allowed in, how this slimy piece of shit can make rules. So, on the way back, he runs into Lupin. Lupin shows off his grindy low. Once again, not a dick joke. After all, we don't see on bridge for another two books. And drinks a smoking poison... That changes the book.
0: <laughs> that really changes the book.
1: <laughs> I was doing fine until I looked at you. <laughs> Where am I? Okay. And drinks... I can't look at you. I'm gonna cover you on the screen. And drinks... A smoking potion that Snape gives him. Wow, chill, so normal. He asks Lupin why he didn't let him face the Boggart, and Lupin says he thought it would be Voldemort. while actually saying Voldemort. Ron and Hermione bring Harry back a ton of candy just in time for Halloween, and then they enjoy the Halloween feast for the first time in three years with no strange interruptions or detours until it's over. Seriously? Trolls, then ghosts. And now, paintings. Upon returning to the Gryffindor common room, the fat lady's painting is slashed, and she is nowhere to be seen. Peeves, oh yeah, he still exists. Great. Says that it was Sirius Black.
0: Spooky Halloween. I'm just reading it. Spooky Halloween. I like how I said it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Did you know what I meant by that Umbridge joke? No, because the Grindalo is not Lupin talking about his dick, it would be Umbridge talking about her big old Grindalo puss because you know it got teeth. Oh my gosh. The only difference, though, is that it's probably not as wet as a typical Grindalo, it's got some (laughs) tumbleweeds. Well, we did promise that the even episodes would be more alcohol influenced. (laughs) A little bit more juicy. All right. So we open up with kind of like a recap of how classes are going. Only defense of the dark arts is going well.
1: Why does Draco only actually know how to make fun of people for being poor?
0: Well, that or like being scared of cheats with teeth. Right. (laughs) I was going to make a mention about that. Once again, he's being a terrible bully. He sticks to what he knows and he doesn't know much. So there's all of that. But then, thankfully, we get into Quidditch pretty quickly. And we haven't really seen too much of Quidditch in this book other than things like the new that Quidditch supplies in Diagon Alley and the gifts that Hermione gives him and stuff. So, like, it's... Things that are bringing him joy, and so luckily we get right into the joy part. And I gotta say, I really, really appreciate Oliver's leadership here. He'd really turned things around from the last book, I think, where he made them get up at the ass crack of dawn and all of that, and to listen to it.
1: That exchange is lovely, where he's like building everyone up individually, too. Fred and George, I love how they handle that whole thing. And at the end, like after he talks about how great Harry is or whatever, and then Brett and Georgia like, oh, we think you're good, too. I <laughs> think it's cute. As far as Quidditch captain, the role of Quidditch captain in these series, we spend the most time with Oliver. Yeah. We get the most Quidditch in these books, and you literally only see the other Quidditch captains do their job for a very, very short amount of time. And you see Oliver grow, and this is nice. I really yeah. like it.
0: I like it, too. Can we also talk about how it's the same team now for three years in a row? hmm I wonder how much there is turnover in a Quidditch team, but they also don't have any tryouts or anything. They're just like, this is who it is. I wonder if there are some like Gryffindors who are like, I really wish I could be on the Quidditch team. And Oliver's just like, Nope, we got a dream team, Beach.
1: Right. I wonder because they talk about in the first book how I think it's Alicia, who is a reserve. So it sounds like they have a reserve, but we never hear about it again. Cause when you see in the sixth book, when Harry runs his tryouts and stuff. He doesn't have a reserve. He doesn't hold on to anyone to be like, you're the backup or whatever. I wonder if, and I try not to overly understand authorial intent, but I wonder if she didn't realize how much she would be relying on putting something like Quidditch into the story.
0: So the next thing that happens then, I believe they're in Herbology. I didn't actually write down where they were. This is where we learn about the rabbit prophecy.
1: I think that the rabbit thing is a really difficult thing. This is really where you see Hermione struggle with her inability to be okay with being wrong about things. Yeah. People call her a show-off a lot and all of that. I don't actually think of Hermione as a show-off in that way. I think that that's how she functions. She's right about this thing. She, her brain works this certain way. When she is like proving Lavender's theory to basically be like, this is all coincidence and I don't fucking believe in what Trelawney has to say. I really think that it's Hermione is just trying to make sense of it and it doesn't work for her if she's not trying to make sense. I'm trying to think if there's anything that happens in the first two books that's not Literally just her being logical and it making sense to everyone else. Whereas in this case, we're talking about how her reaction to this is very kind of cruel to Lavender and how she doesn't catch on because she's not catching on to the fact that her logic is actually working against her in this
0: situation
1: because she's still right, you know?
0: I wouldn't go so far to say that she's right, but she's trying to, like, work through it logically.
1: Yes, I, that's really what I meant to say. But she's she's being logical, I think, because she wants to understand. And this, sure, she's already said in this book that, you know, it seems like guesswork and it doesn't seem like it makes sense because she's a person that needs to understand all aspects of it.
0: This is Hermione's book for growth, for sure. And I think this is a really good thing to show because she totally does lack empathy in this moment. Especially not only because it's Lavender's Rabbit, but obviously Lavender is a lot more into the divination thing. Mm -hmm. And part of me is also like, Hermione, you gotta like take a step back and like look around you for a minute. Because there are some things here that defy logic. (laughs) Like you're at magic school. So like, it's okay to calm down a little bit. It makes me excited to see the next time when she does have the one of these moments where she can be a little bit more empathetic I mean, I think of when you pointed out how she like comforted Ginny on the train, for example, things like that. So you can see that she has that kind of stuff. In this moment, too. she's just so caught up in her head and like not believing the divination stuff and not wanting to go there. But I think you're right. Like she's caught up in the logic and it'll be interesting to see her move past that.
1: I do want to piggyback off of what you just said. And thank you for bringing up that point in earlier in the book. I've been trying to on this read focus on when Hermione is an empathetic person.
0: Then right after this, the Hermione drama continues because then there's this moment where Crookshanks tries going after...
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Crookshanks has already tried to go after, like, literally the page before, tried to go after Scabbers and there was a
0: whole dramatic
1: moment. Brings the dead spider. Good
0: boy, Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. That's so gross. they talk about it after. So when he kind of attacked Scabbers. To an extent, I almost agree with both of them, (laughs) both Ron and Hermione, because I mean, they're both just trying to like stick up for their own pets. And it's like, well, Crookshanks is a big cat. There's a reason why there's that phrase about like it's like hurting cats. They're not the easiest thing to control. (laughs) Like, this is true.
1: Cats are not easy to control.
0: I mean, I deal with it every day. I'm sure you (laughs) do as well. But at the same time, it's like she needs to maybe take some of those steps and like empathy or like getting down to their level and really like understanding, oh, this bothers you because X, Y, Z. What can I do to help? And I think that's where Ron is feeling the same sort of thing. So I understand both of their point of views. and I think they're both right. The number one person who is right in this whole situation is Crookshanks.
1: (laughs) Yes, Crookshanks is awesome it's important to when revisiting the story to yes still be thinking about the fact that crookshanks is actually sensing that scabbers is peter Pettigrew and not a rat Mm -hmm. but it's also if you take out that part it's still a cat seeing a rat and being like i'm gonna fucking eat this thing
0: yeah it's an instinctual thing yeah ever since you mentioned that theory about Crookshanks from a couple episodes ago, it really did get me thinking about all of this and how, to an extent, I do feel like it's the sensing thing or he, like, knows who it is. Like, there was something along the lines of Ron being like, Crookshanks heard you and knew that he was in my bag. Now, if Crookshanks is just your garden variety cat, the cat isn't going to understand to an extent. Yes, my cats meow at me when I say their names, but, like... Cats can't speak English 100%. So,
1: I mean, I um, wouldn't put it past a few of the cats that I know, but yeah. I mean,
0: okay, for example, speaking of Zoom and stuff, I use Zoom all the time for work. Every, I'm actually surprised she hasn't jumped up during these podcasts. Every single time I have a meeting and I open up my laptop, Berkeley jumps up and hogs the attention. Every time. Well, she's and looking then, for her. Yeah, they can sense some things. Overall, like I don't see this as a situation like where there's any one person who is wrong, but I think the one who is most right is Crookshanks. Yes. Yeah. I think I might actually promote Crookshanks to Quen status.
1: Crookshanks is pretty fucking Quen. Oh hell yes,
0: he is. Uh he can be a Quen. We got Quen Dumble,
1: okay? Yeah, we got Quen Adam on this podcast. Oh, that's, that's right. Me.
0: I'm a Quen Sue. crown it, bitch. <laughs> So, yes, I wrote so much. The biggest portion of notes I have is this whole scene. <laughs> so then this is when they go to Transfiguration.
1: They talk about going to Hogsmeade. Yes. So it and then Precious Neville is like, I don't have it. She's like, it's fine. Your grandson
0: sent it to me. Yeah. It's yeah. a mess. And so I almost feel like the fact that she says that, that's when Ron is like, oh, see, this is totally going to work. She'll sign your permission form. But this is why I said in my summary, like, they don't understand how permission forms work. No, She's the one who is asking for permission. <laughs> she cannot give permission because she is asking for permission. It's so funny. I admire the idea, but sometimes there are wrong ideas. <laughs> sometimes there are wrong ideas. Yes. Sometimes there are wrong ideas, and most of the time they are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Precious teenage boys. Oh, yes. Unfortunate. I know we're not to the movie part yet, but in the book, I think she's more just like, bitch, no. In the movie, I think she's a little bit more like... I'm sorry, Potter. There's a little bit more of that. Now, of course, we hear Maggie Smith's inflection in the movie. So maybe that's what's hitting yeah. in my head. I feel like it's just her doing her job. It is what it is. And so luckily they're like, we're going to bring you back all the sweets from Honeydukes, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then this is also where Ron calls McGonagall all these fucking names. Did you pick up on that? It's something about like, Ron called McGonagall a whole bunch of names.
1: Yeah, a lot of things that greatly annoyed Hermione. Yes! And then Hermione assumed an all-for-the-best expression that made Ron even angrier. And Harry had to endure everyone in the talking loudly and happily about what they are going to do first and blah, blah,
0: blah. (laughs) That's rude, Ron.
1: It is very rude.
0: Now, here's the thing. Because points are coming up, and so I have to, like, you know, justify things during the podcast. Hermione had that moment of lacking empathy Ron has this moment of being rude to the Quen. Lacking intelligence. I'm looking at all of their behavior as a whole here. Because, like, the little fight that they have between, like, the Crookshanks and Scabbers thing. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm, like, it's important to realize, like, okay, I understand where they're both coming from. But in the end of the day, they both, like, come through for their friend at the end. And they bring him all these great I know, they're such good friends. Yeah, nice. so I love that. Shit, and then, like, here's the thing, they're also 13-year-olds. 13-year-olds are selfish. I'm sorry, all, any of you 13-year-old listeners out there. But when we were 13, we were selfish. Most of the time, I'm still selfish. <laughs> Me too. To be at that age and be like, we got your back, and to spend that money, and especially Ron, who doesn't have a lot of money, like, that's pretty lit. So I, I'm it's jumping ahead really of, course. Nice. of course the meat of the chapter is what I kind of like skipped over. Um this little meeting with Lupin.
1: Oh, the meeting with Lupin. Yeah.
0: There's some stuff there about how he tries going to the common room and the whole thing about Filch being like, you can't go to the library. Filch fucking sucks. I hate it. Maybe it's him being in cahoots with Madam Pince again.
1: Why does Madam Pince have a job if the students are allowed in the library?
0: Well, yeah. Is Madam Pince having me time?
1: Listen, I respect that you need me time, Madam Pince, but you a librarian, if you need me time, go to your fucking sleeping quarters and close
0: the library. Don't you know right. magic? Or how about you like get a good night's sleep every night? What are you doing at night? Oh my god, there's the proof. Madam Pince and Filch, they're doing it. Oh yeah.
1: And Mrs. Norris is probably an unwilling third party
0: to this whole thing. Oh my God. She's probably sitting in the corner watching with bated breath. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, last year I get petrified. Now I got to watch this. So like most of the time I'm like, hell yes, librarians. I love you librarians. And I've stuck up for her in the past, like I have with people like Snape, for example. But this might be one of those instances she isn't even mentioned and we're trying to like create some narrative here. But <laughs> after we're just like, fuck you, Madam Pince. In this fictional scenario we are creating, I'm more inclined to be like, Madam Pince, get your shit together. But also get your shit together, Phil. He's trying to swing his tiny dick around, and be like, "You want the library? No, sorry. It might be in the middle of the day, but ain't nobody here to tell me that I can't tell you what to do." So then he runs into Lupin.
1: I love this so so much
0: mm-hmm.
1: because, of course, I do.
0: Yes. Lupin really is, I think, one of those characters that I don't know if he, I'm going to ever find anything wrong with him. He's wonderful.
1: Definitely we'll find things wrong with him in the future. Um, well, the most part. But you know what? Like,
0: there's something wrong with all of them.
1: So that's fine.
0: I mean, that's true. That's true. I mean, he's a werewolf, but he can't help that. Poor Lupin.
1: I want to actually comment on how Harry talks to Lupin. It's interesting because in the first couple books, and I mentioned it, I think in the last book how harry was not automatically comfortable with dumbledore like you know how dumbledore is like oh is there something you want to tell me and he's like Neh. and natalie actually mentioned it in our book one wrap-up like we don't really know much about dumbledore and so the only professor he's been kind of close to and he wasn't a professor until this year is hagrid and he's pretty open with lupin i don't know if that's just like instinctual or if it's because Lupin you know, was there for him on the train. But Lupin is this very gentle and encouraging person. I really appreciate this instant connection between Harry and Lupin because this is the only Murmutter he actually gets to know really well. Yeah. He- he doesn't get to spend as much time with Sirius as he does with Lupin. Right. And I find the connection between them to be one of the most beautiful connections in the series.
0: That's a great point. There were a lot of thoughts that came through my head. I just chalk it up to, yeah, it, I think it's just an instantaneous connection. Like, And when you think of like the history of Lupin with Harry's parents, it makes it even better.
1: And the first time reading it, you don't know that there's this connection. You just think that this is some poor, born man who's just trying to make his way in the world. He gets pulled in to do this job, and he's just a nice mentor for Harry, which is actually cool. Like, I'm glad that Lupin is introduced to Harry this way, rather than this was one of my dad's best friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. The movie jumps the gun, right?
1: I'm excited to talk about the movie with you because I have a lot of feelings.
0: For some reason, I think the way that they do in the movie feels more natural to me, but I feel like they reveal too much, right? Unless I read this wrong, they don't say anything about him being friends with James.
1: In the book, he does not mention knowing them. And honestly, the way that Lupin is described, there's no part of you that would even think that he would have been Hogwarts with Harry's parents because he's kind of described in a way that makes you think he's older anyway yeah she doesn't even mention Hogwarts in the book in the book they literally just talk about the bogart.
0: that's what I thought we'll talk about that a little bit more I think when we get to the movie
1: I want to say I love that Lupin already knows that the Harry Ron and Hermione triangle is a thing He asks them, where are they? And he's like, they're in me. Like, I think that's
0: lovely. I think it shows an interest that he has in Harry because obviously he was friends with James and Lily. And like, he has this connection to him. I mean, it it now makes me think more back to why he was in the compartment with them i know i asked the question like why is he on the train and it does make me wonder if he was even like you know what like i have to go to hogwarts at some point why don't i just go to be there and like maybe keep an eye on harry and then that also makes me think of how you were like maybe he was just like there waiting for this situation almost and maybe he wasn't actually asleep because curious he wanted to not be creepy you
1: know like I mean, who even knows? That's the best part about doing this and and talking about it in this way or just talking about the series in general is just to think about what led people to the certain situations that they find themselves in.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it's interesting because, like, Harry runs into him. He's thinking about going to see Hedwig and then he, like, walks by Lupin's office. I think it's interesting, like, why is there a student wandering around the building when everyone is at Hogsmeade or in class or whatever? and why is lupin not working you know he sees harry and like i don't know that's the cool thing to think about when you're considering this series and wherever whatever reason lupin had for being in that train compartment is fascinating
0: yeah totally
1: so their conversation is you know he tells them about the grinty and then <laughs> he says the whole thing about oh you probably don't have tea leaves and and you know that McGonagall has been talking to lupin about him which is Another fascinating thing that she's talking to a former student of hers about her current student, what these professors talk about, and what it would be like to be a professor under your former professor seems interesting. Lupin was taught by McGonagall, you know? Because yeah, he's true. That old. Like it's McGonagall's been there long enough that she taught Lupin and the other marauders. But the conversation is, Lupin says... I didn't think it was a good idea for Voldemort to materialize in the staff room, so he was expecting Voldemort to come out, as we've already discussed, and Harry is like, no, I actually thought of the Dementor, and Lupin says that suggests that what you fear most of all is fear very wise and I want to talk about the idea of fear being a wise thing there's this quote from the BBC series of Sherlock that I actually wrote this down because I didn't want to get it wrong it's literally basically the same thing and it says fear is wisdom in the face of danger and it's nothing to be ashamed of and I think that it's really important that this message be repeated throughout the series And it is in, like, circumstances and other moments, but this is the only time that's actually said. Harry's, like, ability to just face everything in this way that he's like, I'm just going to accept it and go for it and do what feels right. I think it's meant to be a contrast to the statement of fear being intelligent and bravery being this big, like, combative thing of standing up against whatever feels wrong or feels scary. Harry's entire journey is this. I just want to try to explore a little more as we go through the rest of this book, especially how Harry handles fear, because we're so quick to be like, Harry's an idiot. He just jumps into the fire and doesn't think about stuff. That's not the truth.
0: I was just re-listening to, I think, our wrap-up of the last book, and something that stuck with me, because we had already been recording this season, is how I was like, it's nice to get that break from voldemort but you were like i'm interested to see how voldemort is present and this is one of those instances of that obviously he's kind of mentioned here and stuff and there's that fear element it it makes me curious where else he's gonna pop up but then the (laughs) other thing i have to say is just about fear in general and as an emotion because i think that there are people who say that fear is a useless emotion and it's not. I think in some ways it's a survival tactic. Like, there are some things that you should be, as- I was going to say, as scared. There's some things you should be as scared of. Because it's something that is actually dangerous to you. But then there is, to an extent, things that you can control and that you can't control. And I wonder if that is the key for Harry. Yes, there are times where like you can control if you walk into that forest of spiders beach. At the same, I agree, I think that there's more to it than just that. And like there is an element of fear that he has to process in order to do it. Obviously, I talk about mindfulness now in every single episode. But at work we have a mindfulness group. And during this time, when we're all working from home, we've been doing it digitally. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the change triangle and how you have these experiences and you have to put an emotion to it, such as like anxiety or nervousness. And those are emotions that are useless. Are there times when I experience those? Of course, there are times when all of us do, like, it's still a natural human thing. But being able to process them down to something that you can actually like deal with and work with such as fear, I think is a good thing. So I think that it's interesting because that puts another like feather in my cap of like, oh my God, Harry is completely mindful. Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, (laughs) it does. Well, that's, I mean, that's why I wanted to like bring up that other quote. It's it's a very common but underappreciated part of storytelling, is yeah. focusing on the idea of fear as a positive thing. I'm really glad Lupin says this.
0: The other thing that we get here, other than the Grindelwald, of course, which is interesting because again, I was like, oh, Grindelwald!" like I didn't think we got to that until book four, but always cool to see things kind of earlier than you expect them to. Kind of like the Festrals, how I mentioned earlier, things like that. But then there's this potion that Snape like hand delivers and it's so bizarre.
1: And it's really
0: suspicious. I touched on in the last episode about how like, oh, it's kind of cute that Lavender was like, oh, he's scared of a crystal ball because of the whole divination thing. But it's obviously like a clever little thing there because of it obviously being the full moon. But in this case, I don't think I would necessarily think like, oh, he's bringing him a potion so that he doesn't turn into a wolf. It's really, really weird. And obviously Harry's like, oh my God, Snape's going to kill Lupin. He just tried to poison Trevor.
1: Yeah, really, Harry has no reason to think otherwise. Yeah. Well, and even says to Lupin, I love how he blurts that out. He shows his hand on how much he clearly likes this professor. He just spent an afternoon talking about things that are probably uncomfortable with this man. And then he's just like, no, 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 I don't want you to do
0: that. We already touched about this. We don't need to talk about Snape anymore. But I think it is truly one of those moments where it's just like, he's being forced to help Lupin, too. I mean, and I he guess... absolutely is. Yeah. I think that's just where I am with that. But it's it's still, I don't know, it's a little weird. I don't think we're quite to the movie yet. But, like, I think... That's also why I kind of like the way that the movie in the last chapter did actually show the full moon and stuff. Like, that's a better clue to, like, what's going on here.
1: I don't know how much she wants us to actually get. She wants the information to be there for when you're done and you go back. I don't know that she wants us to get it before the information is revealed.
0: I think so. I do think, and this is not meant to sound like a dig or anything but there are times where she has given us clues that are better i think this one rubs me the wrong way but i mean again there's layers of clues there too but after this they come back from hogsmeade they give him all the candies they're like like, we wish we could have given you butterbeer but we can't open carry so sorry about it
1: well they need to move to ohio during a quarantine and then
0: right literally tim i think just told me yesterday tim or pam or someone was like now you can order alcohol from okay. restaurants yeah i was like
1: fuck yes it yes. happened today after natalie and i had mexican where we would have absolutely ordered margaritas to go
0: are you kidding oh my god that's what i need to do i need to go okay so they, they said something like two per per person in the household i live in a house There could be three other people here. I can drink a whole pitcher of margaritas. Easy. (laughs) Look at me in my wide face. I can handle it. So yes, that's really great. They, of course, go to the Halloween feast, which is amazing because of what's happened the last few years. Yeah. The death day party and the troll. But then on the way back to the common room, then this is where the pinnacle of the chapter happens. We get to see... Percy. We haven't seen him. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm head boy. There we go. Another reminder. Thank you, Percy. What else have you been doing other than getting (laughs) jacked up with Penelope? Of course, then when they see the slashed up painting of the fat lady, that's when Peeps comes in. It's like, it's serious Black. Spooky spooky. I feel like I should say something else
1: about Percy
0: you
1: have to because i always do i will say that it's a bit unnerving the lack of adult supervision in this castle and i think this is just another reminder that a 17 year old boy is the one that has to be like oh shit we need to do a thing like he comes through and he's like what is this and yes he is head boy but if you look at you have a professor for each class and you have Prefect, which we don't hear anything about them except for Percy. And none of them are there being like, Yeah, Percy, how can I help you? Like, it's one person. And this is the Gryffindor common room. What happened in Ravenclaw? Who's going to take charge there? Like, is it going to be one of the 15-year-old
0: or 16-year-old prefects? I think there's layers here of things that are wrong. First of all, that the dementors didn't work. They're just there to, like, make everybody miserable. That's number one. Number two, I don't necessarily put it on the professors because... Also, like, especially in the last chapter, we really learned how huge this castle is. And like it is a little bit difficult for professors to do that unless they're doing what they did in the last chaperoning people to classes, which that didn't also didn't really work that great. So like so there's that. I don't I don't really put it on the professors or I think it is the prefects though. They have been given this job. I think of them as RAs. I already talked about how RAs are already like five years older, for example, than these prefects. And that indicates some sort of additional maturity and responsibility and whatnot. But I think that that's the main thing is like, where are these other prefects that should have been on top of this already?
1: I think that you have a point there. But my other question is now you're coming from and you are a former RA, correct? Yeah. Everyone on your college campus is an adult. Those students are adults. These are children, and this is technically like the equivalency to a boarding school. How many adults are in a boarding school? I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know either. I don't either. But I feel like, and I don't actually want to say this professor professors. I want to say that there should probably be more adults in the building in general. Do you agree? I guess.
0: Well, but then what? What are they doing? Are they just there to be like hall monitors and stuff? I'm trying to think of like the staffing of the school and everything, and like having prefects and whatnot. And that's like a normal thing that boarding schools in the UK have too. Yeah, it is. Um, I I don't necessarily know. Like, what? What's your other? solution is yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know that I have a solution I mean I mentioned in the past like trying to utilize ghosts in some way or trying I to do. trying to use the paintings like all the other paintings are like freaking out where like instead the person who has to be helping here is peeves which is kind of weird that it's like peeves is the one here who's being responsible peeves is local i don't think he's being responsible i think he's just
1: the one that's there
0: but he's being helpful like he's still being helpful and saying like what happened you know like i don't i'm not giving him points or anything it's worth kind of just noting that all right we're gonna fuck mary can kill some people (laughs) What I'm going to do is the three things that have disrupted the Halloween feast the past three years. So fuck, marry, kill trolls, ghosts, and paintings. Well, I'm going to kill the troll. Because <laughs> we know how, as well. True. I'm gonna
1: I'm a fuck a painting and marry
0: a ghost. Yeah, I mean, how are you gonna fuck a ghost or a painting? I would like details, please tell me.
1: Whatever, what are you gonna do?
0: No, you didn't answer my question. I wanna know how you're gonna fuck a painting or fuck a ghost.
1: The question was fuck Mary Kill. I answered it. It's your I turn. I had a follow up
0: question that I am requesting you to answer.
1: I'm not answering it. I, was, I, was... I was promised fuck Mary Kill only. That
0: is rude. Oh, oh, so I can't ask you any more questions? And this podcast is only Fuck, Marry, Kill now? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Apparently. That is what I've decided. Okay, wait. What did you say you were going to fucking marry again? I wasn't paying attention. (laughs)
1: I'm going to fuck a painting and marry a ghost.
0: That's really nice. What are you going to do? Well, I'm also killing the troll are you fucking a ghost and marrying a painting i want to see what fucking a ghost is like okay let me know i'm interested is it gonna freeze my dick off they say like when a ghost is around it gets cold so i'm like how that work? you'll have to let me know because i'm married to the ghost so i'll maybe experiment later i don't know i think i'm more curious about that because like fucking a painting I feel like I'm not going to be any better than Serious Black because I'm going to have to put a hole in that painting if I'm going to fuck it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, well, if ghost and painting, like for both of those, like there's different types of ghosts and there's different types of paintings, so it's not as like definitive as like you got to marry Mount Marge or anything like that. You know what I mean? We killed her, but you get my point. I could choose the type of painting and the type of ghost I want to fuck. Or oh yeah. Mom. And plus, like, I feel like if I get sick of that painting husband, then I could be like, you're going to Goodwill. I'm going to get me a new one. Oh, okay. I follow that. Anna Nicole Smith fucked a ghost. Okay, so the main thing that we get here... I mean, we get several different elements of this chapter, but instead of meeting Lupin and then going to his office and all of that, it's on the bridge. And then this is that little thing that I already talked about being, I think, more natural, but also they reveal way too much.
1: I agree that they reveal way too much, but as a lover of the characters, I really, really appreciate all of the discussion about how Harry is like, his mother i feel like this is a conversation that would have happened that we didn't actually need but we appreciate i think that lupin is a hundred percent you know because lupin is like i'm talking about knowing your parents at school which is huge but you know we only got what like two and a half hour movie but he does make the statement that like your mother was there for me at a time where i didn't have anyone and while we don't get enough of anyone's backstory from however many years ago when the Marauders and Lily and Snape were at school I think that it's really important to have those moments where you focus on Harry being more like Lily and we're reminded of how kind Lily is and how unfortunate Lupin was
0: Mm -hmm. I guess Yeah, I think all of that. I mean, it also does condense things very nicely. I mean, we were kind of talking earlier about how amazing it is that Harry does, like, trust Lupin so much. And we haven't really seen that connection with him so quickly with anybody else other than Hagrid. So it does kind of, like, make that a little bit more simple. I think when you're reading the book, you are, like, really getting more into the details and stuff. But when you're watching the movie, you don't have as much time to, like, process it. Yeah. That is true. And I mean... Overall, I really do like this whole thing rather than the back and forth of him seeing Filch and going to the common room, all that stuff.
1: I don't mind that stuff, obviously, because it's Mm -hmm. fun storytelling. But this is the heart of the chapter or the heart of that section.
0: I feel like it works a little bit better in this situation. They do show that little scene with McGonagall when everyone is going off to Hogsmeade and they do show Filch there, but it's like, who the fuck cares, almost. It's just that, (laughs) yeah. it's, It's just that little moment with the permission slip. So that's that. But then when they're coming back, then we do of course get the thing at the end of the chapter where they're coming up the moving staircases Anytime they show the moving staircases too, it's just another reminder of like, oh my God, this is why I need to go to Hogwarts. There's something about the moving staircases that I really enjoy (laughs) and all those paintings. And that's where we do see a good amount of the paintings kind of reacting to this whole thing of the other paintings being slashed. So so earlier I did say like, maybe they could have like used the paintings to help tell what was going on. But I think all the paintings are freaking out that they're going to get slashed next.
1: I don't blame them. I think that that's correct. Can I comment on the fact that the movie was like, hey, by the way, Ginny exists. Here she is. Yeah,
0: we have not seen Ginny for a while. We do have that little Neville moment of them being like, oh, Neville forgot the password. (laughs) and He's like, I'm right here, bitch.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a fun callback because, and we'll learn later on in the book, that that is actually how Sirius gets into the common room Mm -hmm. is because of Neville. I don't know that that was like intentional or not, but I, I do like I was like, what the hell? I'm right
0: here. I mentioned this a couple chapters ago, but this is where we sort of see Cadogan. He isn't mentioned or anything or referred to, but you can see him in the background. Mm-hmm. The other painting I really like, because they do focus on several of them. There's one with a mother and a baby crying, but the one I really like are all the old men and the skeleton, and they're like freaking out oh! with their skeleton. I don't know why, but that made me laugh. And I think that's the same one when this is way far away from now but in order of the phoenix when all the paintings are removed i feel like that's the one that is like tilted and all of them fall out of frame
1: i can't wait to check
0: i might be wrong but there is one similar to that clearly they're all like i don't know scientists or philosophers or something in this painting but they look so bumbling and i enjoy it (laughs) so it's fun and then of course, at the very end, we don't get peeves, which is fine because we get Don French, and sh- she's hiding behind a hippo or something, and she's got her- all those leaves on her head, and she's like, "Oh my God, a serious bug! He's trying to kill me!" I love it. Yeah, she's, great. She's, she's great, Don French. She's great. Yes. Speaking of Don French, plus ten fat lady. That lady got her own chapter. Don French is the tip. Also tend to Crookshanks because Crookshanks knew and Crookshanks was the most right in that situation. Plus 10 to Oliver Wood as well because of his growth and leadership skills. Plus five to Hermione and Ron. I mentioned earlier how both of them had shortcomings in this chapter, lack of empathy, him McGunn names, but they both turned it out for Harry and brought him a lot of snacks. Plus 25 for Lupin because I had to. I mean, he's great. And the only person I'm taking um, any points away is Filch because you need to stay in your lane like Pansy Parkinson. You don't get to make any rules. Stay in your lane. You need to stop bugging Madam Pince. No. (laughs) So that's plus 25 Lupin, plus 10 to Oliver Crookshank's fat lady, plus five to Hermione and Ron, negative five Filch. That's it. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Next time we're reading... Chapter nine. What is it called? My book's over there. It is called Grim Defeat. Oh,
1: shit. This is a sad
0: chapter. This is one of those chapters that I forget exists because I'm like, it's Tom's and the Marauder's map, bitches. It's coming.
1: It's coming.
0: It's coming. It's coming. That's the one that's after that. But Grim Defeat. The picture on this one is not the Goblet of Fire. It's a big black dog that is looking very frustrated. Oh, in my book, it's a moon. Oh, the, it's a, yeah, it's a crystal, crystal ball. It was a crescent moon. Oh, it's a crescent moon. Yeah. That ain't going to work? That ain't going to turn nobody into no
1: wolf? Yeah, it's- I have the... For anyone who's listening to this, I wondering what the fuck
0: I'm talking about. For anybody who's listening to this, as in like, after I edit this, I'm going to just like put it in a time capsule and throw it in the ocean.
1: <laughs> no, mine is the uh, illustrated version, the Jim K. I I have the first three.
0: Berkeley is rubbing on the edge of the desk. She's like, I really like this wooden corner.
1: She knows that it is time for ear scratches and not recording podcasts.
0: Look at her. She's so funny. Why didn't you interrupt me during this? You interrupted me all day at work. And now there's somebody who actually appreciates your diva attitude.
1: She was tired from interrupting all day.
0: I guess so. All right. Well,
1: I need to go to watch bed.
0: The mass Singer and go to bed <laughs>
1: I definitely have to go to bed. I'm working for the first time tomorrow this week. Oh yes!
0: Although you know what, I have been watching. Speaking of binging things during the quarantine, so as you know, I was obsessed with The Circle on Netflix. Yeah, Another, we are all in the circle <laughs> and quarantined from everybody.
1: Yeah. I was like,
0: I was like, wow, that's really ironic. So I went on Netflix, and there's the oh, there she is,
1: <gasps>
0: Berkeley. I realized that there's The Circle Brazil. And the people on there are crazier and more dramatic. It's amazing. Except now I have to just like read all the subtitles because I can't speak Portuguese. Well, there's
1: that. I love subtitles. Thank you, subtitles. Natalie's gonna be mad because I turned the the pedals on her TV. Just, I realize
0: that now. If it's in English, I don't care. But like, I watch a lot of foreign stuff and they're coming out with a circle French. So that one I might be actually be able to understand a little bit. So, I mean, we can't go an episode without mentioning French shit ever since the Hedwig started that trend in the first episode, so.
1: I hope that bitch got some croissants. I'm just saying. She got some croissants?
0: I'm sure she did. <laughs> or some macaroons? Mac- macron.
1: What? Yeah, so listeners, if you uh, want a croissant or a macaron, I can't speak French like Adam, but get those for yourselves while you listen to basic stitches.
0: Yeah, I thought you were about to say, like, we'll send you
1: some. No, you know that's
0: what? how this works.
1: You don't want me to. Listen, where am I going to get them, first of all? Like, I'm not going to go to the grocery store and then send them to people. Two, you definitely don't want me making that shit because I can't make shit. You're not a baker? I hate baking. I
0: worked in a bakery for six years. Did you hear that? I'm not a baker. I worked in a bakery for six years. Wow.
1: That was I didn't do baking. I glazed donuts and I rolled dough and I did all of the non skilled things.
0: I bet you did glaze some donuts if you know what I mean. Get the fuck out. All right. <laughs> On that note, send us some French pastries. Yes, please. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>
1: Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery, edited by Adam Bowers,
0: and published by Tara Corkery via Podbean, and now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice.
0: And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you were so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com.
1: We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast.
0: Catch Catch you later, later, snitches. snitches!